All right, guys. Would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? We were flying back from Mexico on Friday, and I was reading the USA Today, and they had a whole section on the war, and uh, they interviewed this lady outside of a Catholic church, and here's what she said. She said, God sees what's happening in the Ukraine, and the time is going to come when he's going to say, enough. And, and tonight at Worshiping and Waiting, we're going to have one section of tonight where we're going to wait on God and pray out what he gives us for the Ukraine. We, we, we know what CNN says. We know what Fox says. We know what all the pundits say. We know what the president says. We know what Germany is saying and France is saying. What's God saying? What does God want to do? And, 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 and we, want to, we want to allow this agreement and this authority because God... God is shaking this world right now. Can anybody feel it? And, and, and so we just want to we be, be with him and we want to pray from that place of authority the prayers that he would give us even tonight. So here we go. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 18. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father, by one spirit. Let's pray. Lord, you have something burning on your heart today. Would you speak it to us, God? Would you hide me behind the cross? Holy Spirit, you're the only true teacher. Would you come and have complete liberty to speak, to teach, and then God, give us a heart to respond to what it is you are doing and saying. Lord, we love you. We praise you. This is your time. Please, God, let your kingdom come. And your will be done, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is One in Christ. And there is only two points. Point one is the dividing wall is broken down in Christ. So Paul is talking about what Jesus, what God is making in Christ. And he's saying... Everything to do with Israel divided Israel from everybody else on the earth. Israel had special food. They had all kinds of ceremonial laws, including circumcision uh, for males, including the Sabbath day, including all these sacrifices in the temple. And everything about it was you need to stay away from Gentiles. You do not want to be corrupted. And so Israel was God's holy, set-apart people. And... What Paul is saying is that Jesus came 
And he fulfilled all of the law's demands and he fulfilled all of the types. He was the one who had a circumcised heart to God. He, was the, he, he is the Sabbath day. He is the rest. He, is, he fulfilled all of the demands of the law. And so when he died on the cross, he broke this whole idea of performing for God. Andrew did last week. It is not by works, lest anybody boast. He, he broke down all of man's efforts to reach God. The whole law was given not to take away sin. It was, it was there to expose our sin and to prepare us for Christ. Jesus came to take away sin. And so now, by the blood of Jesus, we can draw near to God. Not with any, having to keep any laws, having to keep any, any ceremonial things. The blood of Jesus has drawn us near. And not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. That, that in Christ, there is no barrier to God. And that's just amazing news. That's just great news that I've got access. We each, each group, the Gentiles and the, and the Jews, have access to God through the one spirit. But God's plan is bigger than just that. He didn't just take the barrier away between us and God. He took the barrier away between each other. The, all of the things that separate us because of pride and performance and I'm better than you and I can do more and I'm the, it all got taken away at the cross. The, the, the ground at the cross is level. Everybody comes the exact same way. Not because we're good, but because Jesus is good and his blood did enough. And so he's, he's taken down the wall that divides us from one another. So it turns out that there is peace only in Christ. This is Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So it is only in Christ that there's real peace. Everything else is an illusion of peace. Everything based on political peace and, and it's all, all trying to get the two sides to come together and it's always about self-interest, isn't it? It's all about, you know, I want to be heard, I've got rights, da-da-da-da-da. And, and so this group brings that and this group brings this and it's all about the interests of man. It's all about, uh, and it's about tolerating each other. It's about everybody trying to get their own way and it's, there, there, it, there's no peace. People say peace all the time, but there is no Peace. Peace is only in Christ. The way that that peace comes is not by getting your rights, but laying them down. And in Christ, we get filled with his peace. Now, I, I get it. Today, there's a tremendous cry for justice. J justice for race, justice for 
those who have been sexually abused, justice, we hear a lot about justice. There's one sign that says, no justice, no peace. And, and so we're gonna, we're gonna go for justice, we're gonna get justice, we're gonna fight for justice, and until there's justice, there will not be peace. And so we're going to be anxious and angry and upset and until we get the justice that we deserve. Well, there's a big, big problem with that. It makes you the judge of when justice does come. It puts you on the throne and you're gonna be destroyed in the process. So God's got a whole nother way. And that is where we accept his justice against our sins and against everybody else's sins. And we come into his peace. And then we work for justice and for good in this world, not we're not working for peace, we're working from peace. Instead of being thermometers that just become whatever the world is, wherever the world's troubled, we're troubled. Wherever the world is angry, we're angry. Wherever the world's afraid, we're afraid. Instead of becoming these thermometers that just reflect whatever's going on in the world, we, God's plan was, is that we would be thermostats. That we would, we would come into his peace in Christ and we would bring his peace to every situation and that it wouldn't just be individual, but that the church would show the world there is peace. There really is peace in Christ. Without us all having to agree on everything, there is this peace that Jesus has won for the human race. That is the difference between peace keeping and peacemaking. When the world is trying to keep the peace, here's what it usually is. We're trying to get each other to not kill each other. We'll give you this, we'll give you that, we'll give you that, we'll make sure your state gets this and your thing gets that, just vote for us. And we're just trying to keep, manage the peace. God didn't call us to keep the peace, he called us to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus is the peacemaker. And in Christ, we bring his peace on this earth. John chapter 17, verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus has poured out his glory, his manifest presence on his church to make us one. How does this work? So a week ago, Saturday, we were down with my daughter as a missionary in Mexico, in Guadalajara, and we had driven her whole family, Alice and I, over to Sawayo, where the Clementes are. And they met us for dinner on Friday night, and Saturday for noon, we met with their pastor and his wife for lunch, and of course, at McDonald's. Three-hour drive, and we got to be with the pastor and his wife, and oh, it's all through an interpreter. Holly's the interpreter, and so we're sitting there, and, and uh, Pastor Joel and his wife Vicki pastor this large church that Holly and Noe are uh, children's pastors at, and they, they, so they serve at this large church that I'm going to be preaching at that weekend. So Vicki Vicky says this to me. She says, uh, what, is, what is your goal? What, what, are you, what is the mission of your church? And I said, you know... I don't really have a goal for our church other than to make a place where Jesus is welcome, where God can pour out his glory, his beauty, and his power 
and whatever he wants to do with it, but that's, that's what we're trying to do. Is, and, and I talked about the river rising, and, and she teared up, the, and there was just like this little hovering of glory on our little lunch table, and there was just this oneness that came that had nothing to do with race, it had nothing to do with, um, we couldn't talk in the same language, it was just the glory of God, it just, it makes you one, and and so that night was the first service, Saturday night was the first service. And before I preached, Pastor Joel said to his people, I want you to get prayed for afterwards. I, I don't want you to rush off. I want you to, I want you to wait and get prayed for. And so we, we do the, I do the, the message and, and I come down and ho- it's all through Holly and the whole church is up at the altar. From, and I'm like, oh my, this is going to take hours. And it did. Um, it, it, Holly and I prayed for people for two straight hours. And, but uh, I, heaven came to earth. There were people crying, laughing, falling. It was just the glory of God was there. There was such an amazing presence. I just, I, I, my heart was just so moved. When somebody has been standing there for two hours waiting to get prayed for, the, the, just the hunger and the thirst, and what an honor to pray for them. And it was just so beautiful. And, and so uh, uh, Sunday morning, same thing. We're, we're praying for people another two hours after. I tried to get them to get up. You know, there, there's leaders here. Anybody can pray for you. Pastor Joel, I don't have to pray for you. No, they wanted me to pray for them. So whatever. It was, it was great. But we had scheduled, no, let me take it back. I had scheduled a youth night for last Sunday night. And God, God gave me a dream at the end of 2019. It was about speaking at this youth conference. And I feel like God gave me a message and something he wanted to do to pour out a spirit on youth. And so we set this meeting up. And I will never forget, on Friday, when we're first having dinner with the Clementes, I'm talking to Kaylee and Aislinn. They're two teenagers. And I'm like, are you guys excited about youth night? And Aislinn goes, what youth night? I said, nobody has told you? What? City Church is going to buy pizza for the youth tonight, and then we're going to have a big, or Sunday night, and it's going to be a big youth night. She says, really? And Kaylee's like, you know what? I think I actually heard about that. She said, Pastor Tom, do you know that there's five people in our youth group? (laughs) She said, "It's, it's, it's me and Aislinn and two other Clemente kids and the pastor's son, and that's how many were there last Wednesday night. That's just how many were there. And I'm like, hmm, City Church won't be spending much money on pizza. And so, so we have these two glorious services, Saturday night and Sunday morning. And Pastor Joel says, there are more youth in this church. They will, they will come out. There, there will be at least 40. So we order, we order 13 pizzas. And I, I make sure that we have them there. Somebody else picks them up. But we're going to eat pizza from 5.30 to 6.30. And then the service is going to start at 6.30. And I arrive about 5.45 and... I know in Mexico, everybody comes late. So I, I, I am not going to go into the sanctuary. I, it will discourage me. I know that there are like two people there. And so I just, I come in, I go right into the prayer room. And, you know, for me, I try to do what God tells me to do. And it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if there's five there or 20 or whatever it is. We, I will have service and I will try to do what I think God told me to do. And, and so I'm back there praying. And all of a sudden, worship starts. I'm like, why is worship starting? Holly comes in, 
And she says, the room is full. She said, you need, you, you need to get more pizza. <laughs> so I, I go out, I grab, I grab no way. He goes, gets more pizza. There are 83 students there and 20 adults. Now, guys, what, what on earth does a white-haired guy from the United States have to give to Mexican teenagers that are in a, they're in a completely different culture, which, which I know very little of. They are divided from their own parents. They've all been through this pandemic together. Joel and Vicky said, it's been really rough on this church. It's, been, it's just been hard. It's just been hard on everybody. And so I share the dream that God gave me in my three points. And the whole point was that God wanted to pour out his glory on these kids. And I said, if you, wanna, if you want to get prayer, prayer I, will, I will pray for you. And uh, Holly and I, these kids came. They kids of every stripe and every flavor. And God just was touching them in such amazing ways. It was so beautiful. It wasn't about white and dark and brown. It wasn't about Spanish or English. It was just about Jesus. Jesus was in the house. There was, there was a unity that we shared together but because of the glory of God that was poured out that it was it's just beautiful. Guys, this is the plan. God is going to pour his glory out on his church and through his church. And all of our differences and all of our pride and all of our opinions are going to melt compared to how great Jesus is. That's point one. Here's point two. Keeping the spirit of unity. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We don't make the peace. Jesus makes the peace. And so our job is to keep the peace. How many know it's easier to keep a house clean than it is to clean it? You know, the house is a, is a mess, it's a disaster, and it's, it's very difficult to take that first step because the dishes are piled and it's going to take a long time and it's really hard. But when, when the house is already clean, it's just easier. If the house is already clean, now we just got to keep it clean. Has anybody ever had this happen where you've got company coming over and you clean everything and you get everything ready and then they cancel? <laughs> and it's just like, this is amazing. Our house is clean. We did the hard work to get it clean. Let's keep it clean. Because there's a certain peace when the house is, is clean. And uh, Jesus has already made peace. He's already made for unity. Now we are supposed to make every effort to keep the spirit of unity. Why do we have to work so hard? 
Oh, here's why. First, we have a sin nature. Pride divides. Pride rises up in us and we get offended and we get hurt and we, it, it's easy to divide just because of we've got a sin nature and we can, we can all be a bad version of ourselves and get hurt and get wounded and get separate. And, and so you've you got you to gotta check the sin nature. But, but also, um, there's a devil and there are demons. And uh, no one knows this more than hell that a family divided won't stand. A church divided won't stand. A kingdom divided won't stand. And God's plan is to make us one with his glory so that the beauty and the power of Jesus is revealed into this earth. Psalm 133 says, How beautiful it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. The beauty of Jesus is seen. God wants it to be seen through his church. He doesn't want the church just to carry a message. Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is beautiful. That's good, but we need to be beautiful. We we can't just talk about beauty. We, We actually need to be beautiful. The world understands ugly. They understand how ugly it is. They've seen how ugly religion is and how divided religion is. And so the world's waiting to see the beauty of Jesus in the church. And then it says that the anointing oil begins on Aaron's head, which is the high priest, and it flows. It will begin to flow when there's unity. Of course, Jesus, he's a type of Jesus. Jesus is our high priest. And when there's unity, the oil starts flowing off of his head, down and onto the garments, and the body of Christ releases the power of God to heal, to bind up the brokenhearted, to open blind eyes, to, to do all the things that only God can do. Psalm 133 ends with this. The Father commands his blessing there. This is, this is what Jesus prayed for, make them one father. This is the place where the beauty and the power of Christ is going to, to bring in the great harvest. So hell fights this. So hell is, why are we having to keep every, make every effort to preserve? Because there are demons in the world. There, we're in a spiritual war. Paul talks all about it in chapter six. And they are trying to divide us. And how many know the last two years, it's been pretty easy to divide us. There's been just issue after issue. Everything from masks to race to vaccines to politics. There's just been so many opportunities to divide. And so we need to, we need to work at preserving the spirit of unity. So he gives how to do it. How do you work at it? First, be completely humble. Well, Be humble. Don't just believe in humility, but be humble. Make humility part of your life. And so I've known that God gives grace to the humble. I've, I've, Jesus said, I've got a humble heart. I will teach you. Let me teach you how to be humble. And um, so I've got this devotional book I'm going through right now. And it's, it's mystics through the ages from, from, 1400s, 1500s, 1600s, just Christians that have walked close with God and, and it's, it's, each chapter gives their story and then something from their teaching, somebody that walked close to Jesus and something you can learn. And so I'm, I, I do a number of things in the morning and so I just do a little nibble each time of, of this book, put a bookmark in. And, and so there was this guy I came across last month named Jeremy Taylor. 
And he was a pastor and a leader in the 1600s and kind of a scholar. And he wrote on humility. And he had 18 rules to follow to be humble. And so I did a couple of these each day. And I got done with Jeremy and it's time to get do the next one. And I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm doing Jeremy again. I need these 18. I want these 18 in my life. So I go back, start doing them again. And today, I'm just gonna share the first five with you just to give you a little nibble. Here's number one. Do not think better of yourself because of any outward circumstances, any outward circumstance that happens to you. Although you may, because of the gifts you have been bestowed on, be better at something than someone else, parentheses, as one horse runs faster than another, know that it is for the benefit of others, not for yourself. Remember that you are merely human and that you have nothing in yourself that merits worth except right choices. Number two, humility does not consist in criticizing yourself or wearing ragged clothes or walking around submissively where you go. Humility consists in a realistic opinion of yourself, namely, that you are an unworthy person. Believe this about yourself with the same certainty you believe that you are hungry when you have gone without food. Number three, when you hold this opinion of yourself, be content that others think the same of you. If you realize that you are not wise, do not be angry if someone else should agree. If you truly hold this opinion of yourself, you should also desire that others hold this opinion as well. You would be a hypocrite to think lowly of yourself, but then expect others to think highly of you. Ow. Number four, nurture a love to do good things in secret, concealed from the eyes of others, and therefore not highly esteemed because of them. Be content to go without praise never being troubled when someone has slighted or undervalued you. Remember, no one can undervalue you if you know you are unworthy. Once you know that, no amount of contempt from another person will be able to hurt you. Number five, never say anything directly or indirectly that will provoke praise or elicit compliments from others. Do not let your praise be the intended end of what you say. If it so happens that someone speaks well of you in the midst of a conversation, you are not to stop the conversation. Only remember this. Do not let praise for yourself be the design of your conversations. He gives you all these things to work on. To work on so that more and more the humility of God would be revealed in us. So he says, be completely humble. Secondly, he says, be patient. Listen to Psalm 37, 7 and 8. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. So here's the process. We see something wrong. We get angry about it or we get anxious about it. And we want to make that thing right. And so we start working towards it with our angry, anxious heart. And 
it actually leads to, instead of solving the problem, the darkness actually gets bigger. You, it ends up, you do evil. You, you start out, they do evil, and you're trying to make it right, but if you do it in the wrong spirit, you are going to empower the, the darkness, the very darkness you wanted to remove, and you're going to be very confused by it, and you're going to, uh, things are actually worse. This is a description of what's happened in this country in the last two years. We have people on both the right and on the left that are angry, that are anxious, that sure, they're sure they know what should be done, and, and they have tried to make things better by getting their thing, their agenda, their politician, their law, their whatever, and we're going to ram this because this is what we need, and this is what everybody needs, and we don't care who we run over while we do it, and the whole thing has served to divide this country even more. Now, this is why I say this, guys. There is not a political answer for America. There, there's, not, there's not, if we just got this right person in and if we just changed this one law. Listen, America is past that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in politics. I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to have good laws and try to get good people in. But America is past that. What needs to happen in America is something that requires God. It's, it's a revival in the church and an, and an awakening in the world. This, this is the only hope for America. Now, I am full of hope. Why? I, don't, I do not believe God is done with America. I don't believe God's wiping his hands and saying, judgment, judgment, judgment. This is the very thing that is on God's heart. God wants to send a revival. God wants to pour out his grace where sin has abounded. Grace is going to super abound. He wants, he wants to do this, but he, he's got to get us out of responding in anxiety and fear and anger to everything. Christians have been part of the problem and we've been strong and because we walk with God, we assume that whatever thought is in our head must be God, what God wants. And whatever I think must be what's right because I'm a Christian. No, that's not right. That's not right. Be patient. Be still. And choose to not just respond the way everybody else is. Get in God's presence. Here's what Jesus said. Peace I leave you. This is John 14, 27. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus has left us his peace. He died for it. He was chastised so that we would walk in the manifestation of his peace. His peace is here. So every believer has this. Every believer has this peace with God, but you also have a door. One is called trouble and one is called fear. And there are many knocks on those doors. Has anybody noticed that? There is trouble knocking. There is fear knocking. And when you open that door, people that love God, love Jesus Christ, can be absolutely as filled with fear and trouble that the world is. And living in that. And what, what God's plan is... Was, is that we would receive his peace, and when the knocking happens, which it will, it will today, it will tomorrow, it will by the news, it will by your mom and your mother-in-law and your, your friend and at work, and there's going to be knocks all the way. 
his plan was that we would say no and that we would, we would actually be thermostats of his peace in this world. That we would bring his peace to every troubled storm. We would bring his peace to our office, to our school, to our, that there would be a different spirit. It, that heaven would be manifest. And you say, us? Yeah, yeah, that's the plan. That's the plan. Remember Jesus saying, peace be still, and all of a sudden he was a thermostat and the storm started going away and the, and the waves were calmed and the winds stopped and then he gets to the other side and he says, peace, and, and instead of the demoniac uh, making Jesus anxious and making Jesus afraid, the peace in Jesus starts to overtake this demoniac and all the demons are out and he is, he is left and he's at peace now. Jesus has brought his peace. This is the plan of God. And you say, Pastor Tom, that was Jesus, that's not us. Listen, Jesus Jesus says, I'm leaving you my peace. I, you, you've seen me. You've seen my peace. You've seen the presence. You've seen how I change every, every atmosphere with, with my presence. I'm leaving you that peace. You have this peace. I want you to develop it. I want you to protect it. And I want you to learn how to say no to trouble and fear that are knocking. They're, they're going to knock. They're going to knock. That is our test, isn't it? And uh, we, need, we, need to say, we need to say no and be thermostats of his peace. And then he says this, bear with one another in love. And the word love there is the word agape. That is God's love. The call of God in this hour is to love others with his love. Let me read Ephesians 4, 32 through 5, 2. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God has loved us with his agape. And we are to receive that love, and then we are to live in that love. We're to extend that love. We, he's forgiven us. We're to extend that forgiveness to others. So I had, uh, I had a test in December. Within 24 hours, I had two things happen to me that were very offensive and very hurtful, and both were leaders in the body of Christ. The, the first one was I just felt... I was very unfairly attacked by a Christian leader in public and it was just wrong and I was just so so wounded by it and disappointed by it and surprised by it and then within 24 hours another Christian leader broke his word to me. He he, he said he had made a promise. He said he was going to do something. And then he's like, something came up and I can't do it. And he didn't even say he was sore. It, was, it wasn't like a big deal. So it's like, you know, I can't do it anymore. And then I gave him three other options to fulfill his word. And he's like, nope, 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 nope. And I'm just, I'm just deeply wounded, offended, feeling de- devalued, just feeling bad. And I, I know I've been around long enough to know I can't say anything right away. I need to process this with God. I got to figure this out with God. If I, anything I say right now would be wrong and it would empower the darkness and it would just be me hitting back. And, and so I go before the Lord and, and, uh, and here's what the Lord says. 
forgive them. Lord, shouldn't, shouldn't I go to them? Shouldn't we have a one on No, no, no. I've got them. I want you to, I want you to forgive them. Do you know that Mark eleven twenty five says, when you stand praying, forgive. They, no one has to be sorry. Nobody has to say, I'll never do it again. No one has to do anything. When you stand praying, for Jesus' sake, you forgive. Well, what about Matthew 18, 15, where you go privately and you confront them? That, that, that verse says you go to your brother to win them. You don't go to your brother so that they feel as bad as you feel. You don't go to your brother to tell them how bad you feel. You, 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 you go to God, you forgive them, and then if God tells you in this instance, I'm going to use you to confront this area that is a blind spot for them, and I want you to go privately so that they don't walk in that anymore. And uh, I'm like, God, do you want me to go to them? Nope. Oh, they've got their own problems. They've got their own issues. Neither of them was intentionally trying to hurt you. Just, they were just being, being what they are right now, and they're in their own walk with me, and, and frankly, you're not their judge. You're not their judge. So you forgive them. Hmm. Just like that. Yep, just like that. The love of God. So I've got this guy named John Thurlow. He is a songwriter, worship leader. He's got these intense songs, and some of them just have, have become prayers for me. One of them is called Never Dying Love. The chorus goes like this. Seasons have changed, and I'm aware passion is not enough. Now that I know my weakness more, oh, how I need your Never dying love. The bridge goes like this. I want to come up leaning on my beloved after the wilderness is done. I want to come up leaning on my beloved after the wilderness is done. Seasons have changed. And I'm aware passion is not enough. Now that I know my weakness more, oh, how I need your never-dying love. Oh, how I need your never-dying love. Now, the seasons have changed. And I'm more aware now that my passion is not enough to do this. There has been a wilderness. What happens in the wilderness is you basically get beat up. You find out that you're not that great a Christian. You find out that you are uh, angry, fearful, uh, uh, nothing of these last two years has created anything bad in you, it just brought out what's bad. It's like putting the, a tea bag in tea water. It just came out in the hot water. And you, get, you, 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 you become convinced in the wilderness that this, if this is about your passion for Jesus and your great Christianity, we're in big trouble. So it has to get beat out of us. It got beat out of Peter. Peter went from, I will die for you. I'm the number one. I'm the greatest. I will do it. I will do it to denying Jesus three times. And then Jesus said, Okay, now I can use you. 
now we, now we got that out of you, then now there's going to be another season. After the wilderness is done, there's another season. And in that season, we're more aware of our weakness than we used to be. We used to think we were pretty good. We're not that great. That this isn't about our love. This is about his love. Oh, how I need your agape love. Oh, how I, this is about your love for us. Guys, honestly, if this was about us becoming good, us becoming really great, us becoming really loving, I would have very little hope for America. I, I don't think we're that great. I don't think we're going to become that great. But if this is about his devotion to us, if this is about his love for us, if our main event is receiving his love and there's just loving with the love that he's giving us, oh my, I can do that. I can do that. If this is about his zeal for me, his, to pour out his grace, I can do that. Guys, I, I saw it last Sunday night. Who knows what these 83 teenagers were into, but I'll tell you what they were into that night. They were weeping, they were repenting, they were, they were filled with the joy of the Lord. The pastor's son, his name is Darren, and the pastor told me this afterwards. He said, when you were coming down the line, he said, this kid said, probably 16 years old, he said, I repented of every sin I have ever committed. <laughs> and then the glory of God came over him. He said, that, he said I felt the joy of God. I think of Holly's son, Matthias. He's just so, he's always active. He's always doing stuff. And he's just always kind of a, he's into sports. And, he's, and he got prayed for. And I mean, God so filled him up. He laid on that floor. He did not move for an hour. They, they started worship up. And there's Matthias, just absolutely overwhelmed by the peace of God. This is about his glory. This is about his passion. This is about his great love for us. And so please don't be discouraged by the last season. I want to come out of the wilderness leaning on my beloved in a way I, I didn't lean on him before. I, I want to come up in this next season. The seasons are changed. We're coming out of that wilderness. How, how many know that just the mask mandate going off feels like it's coming out of the wilderness. Oh my. It just, it's just like, are you kidding me? We don't have to argue about masks. We don't have to judge it. I'm, I'm not coming because you have one on or you, I'm not coming because you don't have one on. And, and all of the, the problems that have come, just, just, just that little thing. It's not a little thing. <laughs> I didn't think it would ever come off. Anyway, um, we're coming out of the wilderness, guys. This is a great hour for the church. But we, we need to embrace our weakness. And we need, we need to embrace his never dying love. I'm just going to read this email that I got from Brian White while I was working on this message. It's from Zechariah 10.3. And it was about the sheep are scattered everywhere. And that God is going to gather by his own grace the, all of the millions of scattered sheep. And he's going to make out of them one war horse 
that that which has been divided is going to become one. And then he sent me this prayer. He said, I pray this every day for City Church. It's out of the, the book of common prayer. And here is the prayer he sent me. He sent me this while I'm working on the message. Here's what it says. God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our only Savior, the Prince of Peace, give us grace to take to heart the grave dangers we are in through our many divisions. Deliver your church from all enmity and prejudice and everything that hinders us from godly union. And as there is one body and one spirit, one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, so make us all to be of one heart and of one mind, united in one holy bond of truth and peace, of faith and love, that with one voice we may give you praise through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God in everlasting glory. Amen.